Welcome to the Ordinary Day Podcast. My name is Pete. And joining him is Diane, as per usual. Yes, it's lovely to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, it's our show. I know. <laughs> I, I'm trying to go And along. we're back. And we're back. We were at the cottage last weekend, so had a bit of a hiatus. Yeah, we missed, uh, we missed a podcast. Considered trying to do a cottage cast again, but... Yeah, the weather was really nice. It was just a nice opportunity to just really enjoy Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Lakes. Yeah. Sun. We don't usually have 35 degrees in the middle of September, so that was a surprise. And the lake makes that really bearable, mm-hmm. I got to say. So we were enjoying ourselves there. Do you want to talk about the other fun activities that we've done? Yes. As usual, we usually start our episode with sort of a recap of last week, or I guess in this case, we'll be recapping the last two weeks. So yeah, let's do that. Um, Yeah, we went to the cottage on the weekend. Uh, Last weekend, it was a lot of fun for me. Um, I did notice that often uh, when my parents are there, there is always a task assigned or you have to always do something, which is uh, sometimes a challenge for me because when I go to the cottage, it's usually especially after a work week, it's usually to not do something. Yes. So uh, that was fun. <laughs> but eventually I feel like we wore them down and uh, we, we got to finally enjoy, especially because the, the weather was glorious. Like I don't even know how to, to say it beyond. It was really nice, but it was just, it was the perfect time to be at the cottage. I'm so glad we weren't in our apartment boiling, um, having the AC cranked. And uh, instead, we were just at a lake with beautiful, clean water, jump in the lake every hour or so, and then boil for the rest of it. It's great. Mm-hmm. I echo that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, last episode, we talked about Cirque du Soleil, which was a great show. Definitely. But just a little after that, we checked out another show. Yeah, we went to Second City again. Uh, this was my request uh, for my birthday, actually. And we finally found a date when we could all go. You know, you, me, brothers, girlfriend, family, friend mm-hmm. came along. Uh, we've done Second City before. We've talked about it before. Um, and now I feel like we're kind of regulars. We really enjoy it. think it's hilarious. Um, this show did not disappoint. I think um, I thoroughly enjoyed actually one of the very first sketches that they did, which was a driver almost hitting a cyclist. Oh, yeah. yeah, And the two of them were arguing over who's sharing the bike lane and who's driving and how fast they're going, yada, yada. And then they start talking about traffic in the city and congestion. And by the end of the sketch, they are on exactly the same page with regards to uh, traffic and how annoying it is in Toronto. So that was a fun full circle kind of run around there. Yeah, and of course there were disses to the TTC, which we enjoyed. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is our third show that we've seen of Second City over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And we've become quite quite fans and to the point that we're starting to recognize uh, some of the performers there. Yes. Um, what was unique about this one is uh, we wanted to be 
I guess, closer or in a good spot, but we ended up being placed like right next to the side of the stage, like stage left, like directly to the point that before the show started, I, I had like an elbow leaning on the stage and then a person whose job seemed to be dedicated just to tell you not to do that came over and said, hey, elbow up the stage, elbow up the stage. Yes, our our friend uh, Sarah, who's been on the podcast before, had mm-hmm. injured her ankle, so did not want to be going anywhere with stairs or sitting on those kind of uh, bar top stools type of chairs. She wanted oh, her foot right, nicely right. on the ground, so we got there nice and early, and we're right at the front, uh, giving them access to us. Uh, Sarah yeah. was part of a sketch, just the microphone was thrown at her. Yeah, well, this uh, you kind of went ahead a bit, but I was going to say oh, that sorry. she was afraid that she would be called on, or even more so your brother's girlfriend mm. didn't want to be called on. So we thought we'd be okay because we were a little to the side. But uh, yeah, of course, at some point, um, one of the performers, I have their names up here. Her mm-hmm. name is Anne Pornell. Yeah. Called out on her about, um, I guess it's like uh, the language people use towards women. Yes. Have you ever been called the B word? Yeah. Um, to which Sarah, of course, replied many times, <laughs> many times. Um, she did really well. She was one of those classic examples of uh, uh, calling out to someone in the audience goes one of two ways. Either you get someone who's really shy um, and just says something like, I can't, I'm broken or whatever, or just doesn't want to talk. Or you get someone who does a really good job, who's very comfortable with themselves. And uh, Sarah was the latter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think our collectively as a group, probably our favorite was a sketch where a gentleman was playing a banana. That would be Colin Munch. Mm-hmm. He's pretty awesome as a banana. And it was kind of like the banana was the therapist yeah. to help solve the human's problems. It's hard to explain, but he had a quite mm-hmm. a few weird physical roles. There was one where he was like running around like a spider too mm-hmm. on four legs. Yeah. With pantyhose all over his face. Yeah. So he certainly had a, it's it's something you can't really describe in a podcast, but yeah, it was a lot more physical humor than you usually get at uh, Second City. Yeah. But yeah, he, he stole the show for us for sure. All in all, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that. I would say I didn't, I would prefer not to be where we were seated, seated and I, seated. I don't know if uh, that affected my enjoyment a little bit. I still feel like the first time we went was my favorite, and maybe that's just because it is the first time. Hmm. You know, so it's special. Yeah. It it is nicer when you're sitting more kind of like central rather than like off because we were pretty off to the side. We're basically mm. looking at the stage sideways, so it's hard to see some of the yeah what was going on things. Yeah. Yeah. But also made you feel like you're right there, and I felt like I yeah. noticed more of the mistakes this time. Yeah, but they also were laughing constantly a whole lot this time. That was not just because of where we were. Okay. Uh-huh. I just wondered if uh, I didn't notice it as much when we were further, further back. Um, so similar to that, uh, I've been sharing like, woo, big title of the last episode. Pete says Cirque du Soleil, best show he's ever seen. Mm-hmm. Right. So of course I'm telling people that Cirque du Soleil show was fantastic. Yes. And uh, one of the comments I've received is, is this the first time you've gone? I'm like, well, yeah, I think so. Like, as far as I know, I'm like, well, this is considered one of their not as good ones. Like there are better ones. So again, it goes to that theory. I wonder if it's just because it's like, that's the first one I saw that it just blew me away. 
So we may um, have to save some funds and try to go again to That's something crazy. else. Something else. Another another Cirque show. Oh man. Yeah. You know what else? What? Uh, I don't know if we said it in the podcast. We probably did. And I feel I need to correct this because I said this to a few people as well. Okay. That lady who appeared to be hanging from her hair. Yes. I thought was a bodysuit. Yep. Now that's her hair. Oh, yeah? For realsies. Huh. Checked it on her like Facebook profile and everything. I had to do some deep, deep digging because it was like, there's no way. That's physically impossible, isn't it? Why would it be physically impossible? Because hair can get pulled out of your hair. Out of your head. <laughs> she was dangling from her pores of her hair. Well, I That's mean, crazy. it's like there's a difference between pulling on one strand of hair and having very thick hair and making it into a loop, which is what she did. Yeah. And then attaching the end of the rope that is suspending her to that bun, essentially. I just, like it's spread over a little know. bit. I mean, I don't want to kind of downplay what it was, but... It's not going to be like pulling it off her head. Well, um, like I read some interviews with her or points about that. And it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's incredibly painful. Yeah. And uh, she says she just kind of gets used to it. And that once the show is playing, it's all adrenaline. So she doesn't even feel it. And it's just right. like that kind of changes it for me for the show. Because I remember talking with other people. There's, there were some people at my work who had also seen it. And they were uncomfortable in that part because it's like, Oh really? It was too hard watching it. Cause you think about how painful it is. Huh. And, uh, I think I have to echo their s statements because I just thought it was a bodysuit, and I was like, Oh, this is beautiful. This is neat. Now it does kind of make me go. Ooh. <laughs> now crazy. the circus is getting real. Circus is getting real. They're pulling her hair the whole well, time. That's very interesting. It is. So a little deeper dive into that. Mm -hmm. Um, do you want to talk about your Stratford trip at all? Uh, Stratford was awesome. I'm going to plug the bus that they have, uh, $25 round trip. Mm. It picks you up in Toronto downtown, um, like a two minute walk from Union Station, takes you to Stratford, um, and will drop off at each of the individual theaters because there's different theaters and then picks you up at the end of the show and brings you home. Um, you get home kind of late, but it's, it's a nice bus. It's like a chartered bus. Um, so it's comfy seats. And super cheap to get there and very convenient because it's basically working around the schedules of the Stratford shows. So gets you there in time to have lunch or dinner before the show, takes you home afterwards. Um, we saw uh, the first show was called Tartuffe, which is a play by Molière. I don't know if you've heard of Molière. I have. Okay. I would have read one of them in uh, yeah. university. Yeah, so it's like he's writing a long time ago, like 1600s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you kind of think, like, is this going to be relevant? Like, what am I, am I, am I even going to be able to understand this? Um, so to be fair, it's a translation and a modernization of it. Yeah. And they did, I think, add even further modernizations from when it was last uh, translated. Mm -hmm. uh, but you could follow the story really well. And there's really interesting characters. And the dialogue that comes out is is awesome. It was thoroughly entertaining. We were laughing multiple times during this show. And all of the Stratford actors are uh, amazing. Uh, so that was really great. And fun story. I didn't get a chance to tell you this. Mm. We're sitting there waiting for show to start. And 
the person that plays Ronnie in Schitt's Creek, the one, the black lady with the really big eyes. Yeah. She's walked by. She was enjoying a Stratford show as well and was sitting on the oh. other section right beside us. And I was like, oh, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Celebrity. <laughs> She's at Schitt's Creek. Um, and I was so excited. Uh, so. And we are so excited that that yeah. show is coming back to Netflix soon. So yes. We can't wait. So cool. Um, and then the second show I saw in Stratford was Guys and Dolls, which is a pretty well-known musical. Um, they have this New York drawl that they put on. Um, and it's super well done, well choreographed. The music is great. Everyone's fantastic. Uh, so we thoroughly had fun with that one as nice. well. So that was a nice little, that was my, yay, you finished your thesis. Mm-hmm. Let's hang out before your friend moves back out west. So that was cool. It is confusing because you mentioned Sarah and there's two Sarah friends that you have. Yes. And so. we often, I often have to specify when we have conversations because they are two very different people. Oh yeah. And if I describe something that happened, you're I'm often like, That confused. doesn't make any sense. That Why? doesn't sound like Sarah. I'm like, Why would she do this that? Sarah. And you're like, oh. That's tough. That's why you need to have a mm-hmm. very unique name. Um, like Piet. Yes. <laughs> That's very unique, but it's not pronounced weird. So, uh, yeah, maybe I'll just start doing that. Yeah. Um, okay. That's pretty good. That was a good recap. Mm-hmm. So I think it was last episode, maybe two episodes ago, I threw out this idea and I forget how we came to it. You came to it. I don't know how uh, you came to it. You know, it was two episodes ago because it was talking about all of the old medias that had died. Mm. And I think it was the last mm. audio book, not audio book, but audio book on tape on the cassette tape. And I read the description of the book and I was like, this mm-hmm. just sounds dumb. Horrid. But it made me think about, you know, the slogan, you can't judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. But also just how funny it is when uh, I don't even know if it's the editor or if it's the writer themselves or if it's like a publicist or someone that gives a synopsis of a book and has to write that description on the back. And I wondered if we could, well, for you, especially being a reader, if you could read a couple of these synopsises yes. of books that I may or may not have read. And I'll be like, well, that sounds dumb or it sounds like this is what happens. Maybe come up with a. A guess of what it is? Sure, yeah. Um, I'm certainly not going to be able to guess the title, vice versa, were you. Because mm-hmm. um, the twist I wanted to put on it is I pulled a bunch of old Super Nintendo video games. Because I remember back in the day, their descriptions was the very 90s. So everything is to the extreme and Whoa. exciting and it's going to blow your socks off <laughs> or whatever. Cool. Um, and I'm curious... If it's a different medium, if there's anything similar in the way they try to sell a, nice. sell their product. So this is totally an experiment. It may work or it may not work, but this is the Ordinary Day Book Club, I guess. <laughs> book and video game club. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you want to start? Sure. Um, yeah. I think I pulled out a mix of interesting books. Um, so I'll read this and you tell me if it sounds like a good, interesting read. Okay. 
Ruth Thomas is born into a feud fought for generations by two groups of local lobstermen over fishing rights for the waters that lie between their respective islands. At 18, she has returned from boarding school, smart as a whip, feisty, and irredeemably unromantic, determined to join the stern men and work the lobster boats. As the feud escalates, Ruth proves herself to be an unforgettable, unforgettable American heroine who is destined for greatness and love despite herself. Okay. So at first, maybe because I was thinking of video games, when you said lobster mm-hmm. men, I was thinking yep. of like these cool boss battles of like creatures and stuff. But right. this, is, this is literally just people who fish for lobster. Correct. Um, <laughs> so I know there was this TV show that was really quite popular. And I think it had to do with getting lobster or other underwater creatures or something. Was it like Discovery Channel where it was like extreme lobster boating? Yeah, it was like lobster boating, but it had mm-hmm. a really catchy name. Mm-hmm. And apparently it was very exciting or something and a very dangerous job, too, mm-hmm. um, which I always thought was strange because I've determined that I don't care about lobster whatsoever. So for me, this story doesn't sound that appealing, um, <laughs> except for the they said something about her being sexually inexperienced. That sounds fascinating. No, she's unrelentingly unromantic. Oh, well, that sounds very boring. <laughs> um, yeah, overall, uh, not to say that well, I wouldn't read it because I wouldn't read a book anyway, because um, I'm kind of bored of them. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, yeah, it sounds very, very slow. It sounds like a Jane Austen type movie, uh, book, sorry. Nice. Uh, so it's not a Jane Austen. I probably would never have heard type. of would never have heard of this book except that it's written by Elizabeth Gilbert who wrote E Pray Love. Oh, okay. And it is called Stern Men. Oddly enough, it's called Stern Men. The entire book is about this Ruth character, so the central character is female. Mm. Um and the way she structures her novels is a lot of character development and really delving into making this landscape and creating this story and this set up this feud of what's going on. So there are parts of the book that kind of move slower or were kind of less interesting, exciting. And at the end, I find this with a few of her novels at the end, it really picks up and you get interest in finally like what's happening with this character. I've just been following her through these essential years of her life and been following what she's reading and studying and how she's been growing up. And finally we get to kind of the conclusion of how she wraps this up and what she does. So you gotta get to the end, but it was an interesting read. So where does it take place? In Maine. Uh, so the East coast of the United States. Okay. Yeah. Cause that, that was the other thing. The, the synopsis made me think, I wonder if it has mm-hmm. anything to do with Newfoundland. Because that got me a little bit curious about Oh, it. yeah. No, it's Maine. Um, and interestingly enough, this version of the book is a reprint. And all over the book, they're like written by Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Like they're trying to yeah. really work that up as, um, well, it worked for me because I was like, I want to read this book because she writes so well and so many other um, in more nonfiction. Yeah. Um, so I definitely checked it out and it's not a very long read. So it's kind of a nice kind of story world to delve into. So would you recommend this? Um, yes, maybe on my list of not the most fantastic books I've ever read, but 
certainly worth it. This is a good like summer cottage in a hammock read. Light, yeah. Light read. Yeah. Okay. More of a lighter read. And it's a very small book. There's books that I've enjoyed that are really hefty, like 350 pages. And that's mm-hmm. just kind of annoying to lug around. So what are we looking at? Uh, like 150. Eight, 150. Perfect. Yeah. Great. So I think that's, this is working. This is good. I think we got a format here. Cool. So can we apply this to a game? Yeah. All right. See, the thing about games is mm-hmm. story is not really, especially at this point in time, we're not the most important things. Okay. So I'm going to read this one. Sure. It says, near the end of his life, Dr. Light succeeds in creating the first of a new series of robots, which will change the world. Able to think and make decisions, this new robot holds great danger as well as great possibilities. Fearful of the possible consequence of unleashing his creation on the world, Dr. Light decides to seal him in a capsule and test his systems until they are totally reliable. The future will have to decide his fate. There's actually another paragraph if you want me to continue. Released from the capsule (laughs) by Dr. Kane, X is born into the world of the future where the robot rebellions are a thing of the past. But when Dr. Kane tries to implement Dr. Light's design into a new series of reploids, something goes hideously wrong. Now the future lies on the brink of destruction and a new... Leave that blank for now. Must emerge to the to face Sigma and his forces before the human race is wiped from the planet. Whoa! Yeah, they certainly made that sound really exciting. It does. Mm-hmm. So, what what did you get from that? Um, I love that you picked a game that involved robots because mm. they're definitely close to your heart. It's <laughs> true. I found out. I do enjoy robots. Um. Yeah, I find it's interesting what points people pull out for the kind of excitement of this because they've obviously built up a lot of the backstory in that. Um, Mm. And you have to get to kind of paragraph two where everything's going to hell. And that kind of, you know, piques your interest. Like, am I just a robot like running around or am I this death destruction machine or what's, what's happening with this? Yeah. Uh, so they have quite a long description actually. I think that was incredibly long. I almost feel like descriptions are getting much shorter nowadays. Oh, for sure. And actually mm-hmm. the, the rest of them are going to be a lot shorter. Ah, okay. That one was really long. Um, yeah. So I can't, I, you know, same as you, I'm not like a huge video game player. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we're doing opposites here. Yeah, we are doing opposites. And, um, but it is interesting to. So, what do you think it would be about? World. What do you think you're doing in this game based on that synopsis? I guess it's just kind of like a, like a role playing game where you're running around as a robot. Are you the robot or are you not the robot? So this is from a game called Mega Man X. Okay. And Mega Man is a long series. And let me tell you something about this. There is no story in the game whatsoever. So I was actually surprised to read this description because I had no idea this is what was going on in the game. Because in the game, you just start off as this Mega Man dude and you're running from left to right and you're shooting robots. And eventually you shoot these other robots and gain their powers and then shoot more robots and gain their powers. So it's like the most simple game possible. And it had this deep, deep, rich story that I didn't even know about. I don't even know who Dr. Kane is. He's not even in the game. That's hilarious. So this is why I picked it, because I thought 
this is fascinating because it's like, it has a synopsis that I didn't even know about. Well, it's like if you were to describe Super Mario and start talking about their yeah. their plumbing and their that one. and their other trade work that they do, mm-hmm. and really the game is just you driving around in cars, shooting them with <laughs> mushrooms and leaving That's banana peels. Yeah. Um, so the other thing about this Mega Man one, it, it is fascinating. So this was the first one that came out on the Super Nintendo. And there was mm-hmm. a history. They had like six uh, games on the regular Nintendo. So it actually is kind of fascinating how they set this one up. It was the idea that that original Mega Man had been put into a capsule and was put to sleep. And then he reawoke in the future. So that was kind of in the game. But like to this degree, to this kind of description, mm-hmm. it's just, wow, it's exciting. I liked it. I read this one. I was like, wow, I had no idea any of this was going on. So, um, it's hilarious. Pretty cool. Nice. Video games are more complicated than first meets the eye. Yeah. Um, I would say this game is amazing. Nice. This is a very good one. Um, probably an 8 out of 10, and I think it's held up very well. Uh, one of the best things about this game, um, actually a YouTube person put on uh put together a video called sequelitis i believe where he sort of discusses how video games create multiple sequels and sometimes they're innovative but this one was really smart and he was talking specifically about how there's a tutorial level teaching you how to play the game without you realizing it and it goes through the points of that which actually is really cool and uh, it's really well done in this game because all new games when you buy them for the first one hour or two hours you get all these prompts that say press X to do this or press triangle to do that or hold this to do that. And it's very obviously telling you how to do things and it can be pretty monotonous. Mm -hmm. But uh, in this game, they pulled it off in their medium. Probably one of the best of all games of all time. Nice. And yet the story's in crazy. Mm -hmm. Who would have known? All right. Book number two. Mm -hmm. Let's see here. I thought this was interesting. Uh, so Gabriel Oak is only one of three suitors for the hand of the beautiful and spirited Bathsheba Everdeen. He must compete with the dashing young soldier, Sergeant Troy, and respectable middle-aged farmer, Boldwood. And while their fates depend upon the choice Bathsheba makes, she discovers the terrible consequences of an inconstant heart. That's short. Yes. Okay. Um, I feel like I might know this book Mm. or I read another book. I read so many books in university. Yes. I have an English major and, uh, I guess I should have prefaced that. That's why I don't like to read books anymore. I've read too many. I think that's fair. (laughs) It's like I've had my fill. Well, you had to read so many and just so intently and then write essays on them and analyze them to death. Yeah. That's what I wondered too, is if, if I can't enjoy them just yep. as a, a novel now, cause mm-hmm. I've just got this critical brain for them. Yep. And uh, I wonder if that's kind of ruined some of the in- enjoyment, but Bathsheba as a character. Yes. Sounds familiar. Sounds incredibly familiar. And I got <laughs> so stuck on that. I missed most of your description. Oh, nice. But, uh, would you say <laughs> Captain George? Sergeant Troy. Sergeant, Sergeant Troy. And Farmer Boldwood. See, there's something about all these descriptions that just have such an, it just reminds me of Jane Austen, like a Austen-like again. Yes. So this book is far from the Madden crowd. Okay. Which is old. 
so pre-Austin? Uh, maybe around the same time. Okay. So is it, again, another one where there's a woman and then there's a suitor and they don't like each other and then eventually they fall in love and it's the end? Uh, yes, somewhat. There's three suitors, actually. Ooh. Yes. Um, love and there's square. some some <laughs> Love square, yeah. <laughs> and there's some intrigue because Bathsheba starts off as a poor orphan. And then her uncle uh, leaves her his farm. So she goes from being not really high in society to owning a farm, which is very high in society back then. And the Gabriel Oak, who was like madly in love with her, um, starts off as a farmer. And then this very tragic thing happens where all of his sheep die. So he is now in a position where he doesn't have his farm or his livelihood anymore. And he actually goes and works for her. Um, so there's that power dynamic and he's probably the person that the entire book you're like, you just need to be with this person. Um, but her neighbor is a very well-known farmer, uh, farmer Baldwin, but he's boring (laughs) and a little older and it's kind of like, Oh, and he's also the one that, um, yeah, he's a little more maybe dependable, um, older, never married, but this spirited woman comes in and he's taken by her. And then there's Sergeant Troy, who is the flash and the flare, but no substance. Oh yeah. Yes. So, uh, she ends up actually eloping and marrying him (sighs) and brings him back to the farm and he gambles away money and he gets in terrible trouble and creates all of this drama for her that she doesn't need, obviously. And it's kind of, yeah, kind of a terrible, terrible marriage. Does it end um, happily? Um, <laughs> Don't remember. <laughs> it ends in death. <laughs> oh, but is it a happy death? I think the farmer kills Sergeant Troy. <laughs> so then the farmer's in prison, Troy is dead, and... She has to uh, win over Gabriel Oak, who she should be with in the beginning without all of this other drama that's happening. So I feel like it's not worth asking you whether you recommend it because you kind of gave an entire plot synopsis. So now there's no point in reading it. Um, Yes. However, there are like I'm a huge fan of Jane Austen. I love her stories mm -hmm. and a lot of her stories are you know, the women and the suitors. Very formulaic. Very, yeah, very formulaic and very, like, not a lot happens in these books, right? Like, the biggest intrigue is, like, deception or some form of that or a misunderstanding. Um, And I probably mentioned Jane Eyre at some point. Mm. A lot of crazy stuff happens in Jane Eyre and a lot of pretty crazy stuff happens in this Far From the Madden crowd as well. So if you want kind of the language or the stories from those times, but you need a little more action, then you can give it a go. Uh, no, thank you. Yeah, I know. I like how we're kind of Do talking and recommending when we know neither of us is going to no, really no, no, delve into course. these mediums. No, of course not. That's for the audience. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you say that's a good one? Yes, I enjoyed it. All right. Great. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, Video game number two. (laughs) So, I mean, I felt like your two were very similar. Okay. In uh, maybe genre. 
But I'm going to try to like totally go in a different direction. Okay. In fact, this one, this description couldn't be more game description. But it's got some attitude. And this is what I was looking for is that 90s attitude. Ooh, okay, cool. Let's get this light a little closer. So you can read these boxes. Here we go. We'll make this quick. You're holding the new super accelerated number one world leader in race games. It's jammed with twice the programming horsepower of the original Top Gear, so you can scream through 64 cities in 16 countries, twisting, turning, jumping, spinning, and flipping at speeds over 200 miles per hour, solo or head-to-head, day or night, rain or shine, fog or snow. Plus, if you win enough prize money, you can buy incredible engine, tire, transmission, nitro system, and armor upgrades. And you've got a new on-screen power-ups to keep you revved to the red line. So get your rear in gear because there's nothing half fast about it. That is amazing. <laughs> the voice helped, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the voice definitely helped, but that was very amusing. Um, Did I it see. get you pumped for the game? Oh, definitely. How can you not be pumped for the game? So were there commercials for this game like in that voice or along those lines? Oh, I assume. I don't I don't know. I don't I don't know how successful this game was. Okay. It it was huge in Spanish markets. I hear a lot of people from uh, uh, Brazil and and those like areas really, really latched onto this game. Mm-hmm. So, what did you get from this? What what do you think this game's about? It sounds a lot like just a race car game where you mm. just drive around. Like you play slowly. A very no very. F- <laughs> Yes, slowly and in reverse, <laughs> trying to avoid trees and rocks. Uh, it sounds like a lot of the racing games you play now, um, where they have different scenes, scenarios, different tracks in different countries, yeah. and you just go really fast into racetrack through the countryside. That's, That's what true. it sounds like. Is that what it is, or is that completely off? Um, I, actually, I don't like racing games. This is the fun thing. Okay. Um, except recently I did, I picked up drive club on PS4 mm-hmm. and something about that game grabs me. And I don't know why, cause I don't like racing games. That's but surprising. Cause you play that game a lot. I play that game a lot. <laughs> I think it's just cause it's so pretty or something. I just mm. like, you do like scenery. I like the way it looks. And, uh, I actually don't like doing the race modes as much as just like a time trial and just trying to get better at controlling it. Whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's, I guess like a racing game. But before that, I didn't enjoy a single racing game until Top Gear 2, which is what this is, which is one of my favorite Super Nintendo games, um, probably number three, Okay. which is saying a lot because mm-hmm. I love Super Nintendo games. Um, and it's, a, it's just a really impressive for its time, super fast and super fun racing game. I was really good at it, too. Um, I love to play this one with my bros. It has a two-player mode, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I remember getting really excited about it. I remember being so into it that I asked my dad to buy it for me for my 15th birthday or something. Okay. And he's like, I don't know. It sounds like a lot of money and, um, I don't want you to get bored of it. And I always like to bring up every time he comes over that I still own it and still play it from time to time. So <laughs> ain't it money, great when you can prove the parents wrong <laughs> money well spent. Um, but yes, it's, uh, that, that description actually is all the things you can do in it. It's a okay. very, it's a very good description, mm-hmm. even though it's very nineties and very, um, in your face. Yeah. Um, 
all of the things that are good about it, like being able to upgrade your pieces, like your engine and tires and whatever, uh, do allow you to start the game from a slower speed of whatever, 120 miles per hour. But by the end of the game in the 64th country, you're just, you're going so fast that you can barely react. It's pretty fun. Cool. I also really liked it because um, around that time, speaking of advertisements, uh, Sega and the Sega Genesis mm-hmm. were really pushing what they called blast processing, which is to say uh, the Sega Genesis was a faster console. Like it had a little bit better, I guess, RAM. Okay. Um, and those commercials always would show like their racing games and then cut to like, there's the Super Nintendo and they show Mario Kart. And it's like, yeah, Mario Kart is slow, but it's a kart racer. Yeah. If they had used this mm-hmm. to define the Super Nintendo, that commercial would not have worked for them. Well, yes, of course. Because it's fast. Fast. And it's awesome. Nice. Cool. Plug for that game. Yeah. I'm okay with racing games. I just, I can't drive very well, so... But in like, real life what do you like, say no like games. using the controls and driving and being able to like read speed so i can go around corners i can drive fairly well like a real vehicle yeah well this one's not very realistic and actually i think that's what ruined racing games for me as they got more realistic because you can't you can't really make a mistake in this one um it's pretty easy to do the turns like you can't do a full 360 turn and go the wrong way impossible um in this one and if you do crash into the side you do this cool little spin move or a flip which they mentioned also spinning and flipping um and you basically land straight oh so you just keep going the right way so you bounce off the wall and you're straight things (laughs) in there yeah it's fun amazing all right book number three i'm gonna read the first sentence and i want you to try and guess what this book is about okay and then i'll read the rest of the description afterwards Rarely does a single book alter the course of history. Mm, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yes. No. <laughs> is this um is this that one you got recently where it's like the history of everything that's ever known? No. Okay. It's not that one. It was written in 1962. And they knew everything then, eh? Or are they going to alter the everything? alter the course of history? Okay. Tell me more. Rachel Carson's Silent Spring did exactly that. The outcry that followed its publication forced the banning of DDT and spurred revolutionary changes in the laws affecting our air, land, and water. All right, that's more like it. So this is not mm-hmm. a work of fiction then, right? It is nonfiction. All right. And yes. what was that name, Rachel? Her name is Rachel Carson, and the book is called Silent Spring. Oh, I thought that was her name, Rachel Carson Silent Spring. I was mm. like, that's quite a name. <laughs> no. No, Rachel Carson is the author and the book Uh, is called Silent Spring. Silent Spring. And it was pretty much the first, it basically spurred the environmental movement. Um, Really? In 62? Yep, 1962. Uh, So this is when they were freely spraying DDT as a pesticide. They would essentially just spray it over entire neighborhoods, like houses too. Mm-hmm. From the air. Yeah. And people would kind of be like, oh, don't go outside right now. It's yeah. <laughs> just DDT. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it was horrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wiped, yeah, did horrible things. Um, so it basically got people thinking, uh, we need to take better care of our environment. So um, I, I do remember that. Um, is it true that they still do that in some places? And what I'm referring to is 
possibly poor areas in southern United States or Mexico? I crop dusting is that similar? Maybe I cannot. I don't have those figures or yeah. that date in front of me, so I can't confirm that officially. Because see, a lot of my knowledge, sadly, I guess, is based on the games I play, and okay. and I don't know if GTA Five was making a joke about it because they always do make jokes mm-hmm. about society and what they're doing. But mm-hmm. if you are in the parts of the city that are more like Mexico or poor, uh, there are fields. And then, yeah, a crop duster will fly by and drop uh, pesticides and stuff onto I'm, the fields. I'm surprised that that's happening in the United States, poor or rich area. Yeah. Um, I have um, heard that certain fruits or things aren't very environmentally sound because they're grown in countries with not as strong regulations mm-hmm. and that workers basically get doused with the pesticides along with the fruits. Um, I can't recall where I heard that from right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly there are still terrible environmental practices happening out there as much as there are many more laws coming into place to protect a lot of these areas. Excellent. So this, this book was a big, a big hit, right? It was a big hit. social change and yes. made awareness. Yes, it did. And unfortunately, the author actually died in 1964. Whoa. So she, from, yeah, from an aggressive cancer. Um, so she never really got to see what an impact this book hmm. had. She could start to see it, but not really. And it's also an interesting look into female role in science because nobody wanted to have her do an advanced degree in science. And yet she was obviously a very gifted researcher and writer because she was able to write this book as well as others, um, but was not the first choice to do things like I can do now, like a PhD, which I had no problem getting into after showing my credentials and having some good references. So Hmm. thank you for attempting to pave the way. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And I like that you picked that because that was very different from the other two. Yes, that's what I wanted to do. Excellent. Excellent. All right. You got one more? Yeah. This okay. is uh, this is good. It's been a long episode. Let's do this. All right. Have you been doing a good job of not looking at these while I... Well, I can barely see the titles because they got these weird fonts that they're throwing out mm. there too, and they're on this black casing, so... Okay. Go for it. Here we go. Mm-hmm. So I won't do a voice this time. Oh, Sorry. Really? Well, maybe I will. We'll see. Here we go. The Millennium. A portal is opened. The chain of time is broken. A young man is transported into the past, altering the course of history and the outcome of the future. He has to find his way home, but first he must travel to the outer edges of time to repair the world's chronology. On the way, he encounters strange things, strange friends and foes, utilizes incredible devices and vehicles, and penetrates and neutralizes the fortresses of the past, present, and future. A paradox has been created. If he does not restore the order of time, nothing will ever be the same. He is the only one who will become a hero. Hmm. Sounds very similar to the synopsis of Back to the Future. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, that's very good. Um, 
So from that kind of description, I'm getting kind of the idea that it's some kind of quest that you have to go on mm -hmm. and that you're a person trying to accomplish this goal. So not a racing game, not just like a man running around shooting robots. Yeah. Is that that accurate? Yeah, you're doing very good. Yeah. yeah very, well, very different. That's all I got. Okay. So this is a, a game called Chrono Trigger. Oh, it's your favorite game. And famously, it is, yeah, my favorite game ever created. Um, what's interesting about it is it does have an incredible story, incredible characters. And I would say it is the most, I guess, like a book game that I own, right? Uh, well, except for maybe Witcher. Um, but it, it's designed in a very narrative way. And part of the strengths of it, and it's been critically very well received, by the way. Mm -hmm. I'm not the only one who says, like, one of the greatest games ever made. Mm -hmm. um, so what I found interesting about this description, though, is the main character, this guy, is a silent protagonist. He never says anything. He's kind of not important to the story at all. Okay. Generally speaking. Okay. It's actually more his teammates and the group of them, because you work with a whole group. It's a, it's a role-playing game, but you control a whole, a whole team. It's okay. Not, it's not one man. One man must save time. It's not one of those. So that's a weird description that it's all about him, because he's not... He's not even that important right. to the uh, narrative, I guess I'll say. But maybe it's easier to write the description yeah, but including it was just, everybody. It's a very fascinating thing. And I got, I'm glad that you said uh, Back to the Future because it definitely takes some of those ideas. And that's one of the other strengths of the game is you travel through time. And it's really neat because you'll go into the past and even little things that are off the story's main beat, mm -hmm. you can alter something. And then if you go back to your present time, something will be entirely different. Um, hmm. Yeah, so much like in Back to the Future, it's really clever for those people who have good eyes will notice that at the beginning of the movie, Marty McFly goes to the mall called T Two Pines Mall. Um, then he, when he goes in the past, he accidentally drives over a little sapling. So when he comes back to the present, that mall has been changed to Lone Pine Mall. Right. It's a very, very tiny little thing. Mm -hmm. And there's little things like that too, where if you go back into the past and you're very generous to someone, um, when you go back to your present time, uh, generations have passed and that family becomes all about being generous. And that's how you basically obtain an item is you change the way their family oh. thinks because they used to be very, very selfish. But you've gone back to the past and kind of changed the way their family thinks about outsiders and they become more generous. So lots of neat things like that. It's a good thinker. It's beautiful, incredible music. Um, yeah, it still plays good to this day. Nice. 10 out of 10. Oh, boy. Highly recommended. Mm -hmm. By the way, I would highly recommend reading Silent Spring. Yes. To anyone interested. Yes, I forgot to ask you that question. We moved that, on very quickly. Yeah, that is a fascinating book. Do you have all these games like set up on your retro pie? Of course. Nice. Of course. Okay. And they're the ones that I would play most often. There are other ones I like too, but I thought this was a good sampling of three very different um Games and also descriptions, mm -hmm. like the way they delivered their message. Cool. Nice. Um, awesome. Because the Mega Man one was <laughs> very descriptive, and it seemed like it had mm -hmm. a very epic story, whereas the Chrono Trigger one seems kind of plain mm -hmm. in comparison, where mm -hmm. the one that is plain is actually the really epic one. Um, one other thing I appreciate in here is they did manage to describe the game a little bit, and I thought that is a clever a clever trick with some of the video game synopsises. It's not just talking about a story. They're trying to inject 
what you're doing in the game in the description too, where you don't have that in the book. Cause it's not like you need to tell the reader you will be turning pages. Lots right, no, of times. Yeah. <laughs> and with books too, you want to intrigue people, but you don't want to tell them the whole story. Yeah. You have to grab that. Them. So I often find it funny because they'll be very descriptive about the first chapter and then they'll just kind of make it sound like this insane thing happens. And it's such an odd way of describing how the book plays out. But I mean, what else are you supposed to do? So yeah. And it's curious. And some of the movies I've enjoyed the most are ones I go into completely blind. So it's gotta be Mm -hmm. hard to give synopsises that like, don't spoil the plot. I mean, you don't want to give away any of the twists or anything, but how much do you tell to get someone interested and uh yeah how much do you keep to yourself Mm -hmm. it's been an interesting experiment so i i enjoyed this i think this worked out pretty well cool we should do it again sometime all righty maybe we will so uh what's next if you guys have any opinions of this listening right now send me an email ordinarydaypodcast at gmail.com i'd love to hear your opinions or maybe you have a synopsis you'd like to share with us and we can see what we know <laughs> if we like it or know what it's about. Yeah, that would be really fun. Yeah. Um, and we'd like to thank Field Processor for our music as per usual. And you can check them out Friday nights. They do a Twitch stream and all the info is at fieldprocessor.com. Perfect. So until next time, take one more for the road. <laughs> <laughs>